You ready for Daniel 9? I didn't study it all this week, so we're just going to spitball it. I'm just kidding. I probably read more commentaries this week than I have in my life. So if you remember, Daniel, uh, Daniel is prophetic and apocalyptic. And so now we're in the, the apocalyptic section, starting from verse 7 on. Daniel 9, and we, we talked about this. There's generally four lenses or perspectives by which we read apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature. And, and we're going to get into that in the second half. Um, but here they are. So there's the idealist view, the preterist view, the historist view, and then the futurist view. And, and, and the, like, depending on where you land on these um, will dictate even how you read this scripture that we're going to see this morning. And we said this, and this has been our kind of our posture this whole time, is, is we're going to hold our, our view of, of prophecy and apocalyptic and end times with an open hand. So here's what I believe, but, but I'm, not, I'm not so proud or so, um, so narrow that like I won't let go. This is, I'm right and you're wrong. And instead we say, I think, I'm convinced of this. I think this is right, but I, I can be... I can be convinced otherwise. We're going to need that this morning because as we get into Daniel 9, especially this, the second half, it gets really difficult. Now, Daniel chapter 9 is, is really, it's a chapter with two focuses. So the first part, the first uh, 19 verses focus on one thing, and it's specifically an, an incredible prayer of confession of Daniel. And then the second part, which is what everyone, like, when people study Daniel, they get a new commentary, they go, all right, Daniel 9, starting verse 20. I don't need Daniel 1, that's fine. This is where they go. That's the passage this morning. And this, this is not a prayer of confession. We could say this, this is a passage of confusion. <laughs> I think when we're done, you're gonna say, wow, I know so much more and I don't know anything. <laughs> I know so much more and I know so little about this. So we're going to look at Daniel, the first section, uh, the first part of Daniel, this, this incredible prayer of confession. And, and, and I want to I ask you this, and I'm sure this is true of you. This has been certainly true of me. Has there ever been a time where you, where you felt like you didn't know what to pray? And not like for dinner, you know, like you pray for dinner and you're like, oh, who cooked the meal? That changes my prayer. That depends. Not that, but, but where you're like, I'm just, I just don't know what to pray. Maybe life is going well. Maybe there's no big issues or big problems. And, and maybe you've done this prayer request and like, hey, you're in a prayer request and you're like, ah, no, I, I don't, uh, things are good. Maybe there's been a time where for you, like, I, Lord, I don't even know what to say right now. When, if you ever get to that moment, remember this morning and remember this, Daniel chapter nine, because this prayer is incredible. This prayer is, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things that, that you, you read and you realize the depth of it and say, I want to pray like that. I want to pray like Daniel. Here it is, ready? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Humble confession is always the right kind of prayer. What we're gonna see is this, this very humble Confession of sin that Daniel's going to give. And listen, there is never a point in your life where this doesn't apply. 
where, where, where confession and humility doesn't work. No, no, no. There, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter who you're around or what your prayer life or what your experience is. There are, it is always right to say, you know what? Let's just have a time of just confession. Oh, okay. Wow, here we go. Humble confession is always the right kind of prayer. So let's look at Daniel's prayer. He starts in Daniel 9 by saying this. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, this is the Xerxes that maybe you've heard of in, even in like popular history and movies. Um, his son, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign. Okay, so Daniel gives us a timeline. Remember, yeah, each part of Daniel, we get kind of a snippet as to when this is happening in, in world history and in his life. So here's our chapters, and here's where we are. We were at Daniel 8 last week, if you remember, if you were here or watched online. Um, this morning, we're at Daniel 9, which, which jumps forward. It jumps forward 13 years after Daniel 8. It's as now, we're now fast forward after Daniel in the lion's den, after Babylon has fallen. So all of that was last week, still had yet to happen. Now Daniel is is writing again, and, and this is where he is in his life. So we've now fast forward. And it says this. I, Daniel, understood, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. We're going to look at that in a second because that's, that's an incredible, incredible verse. That the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Here's what we see. Number one, Daniel read his Bible. Daniel read his scriptures. He knew, and he said, okay, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, I knew it would be 70 years. Lord, I've been here almost 70 years. It's almost like he has this internal clock, this countdown of, okay, what year is it? Okay, all right, we still got some time. And now he's getting to the point where, all right, all right, Lord, you said 70 years. We're almost there. It's time to pray. <laughs> Daniel could read his calendar and he knew there would be almost, that there would be 70 years and was now anticipating what Jeremiah wrote. Here's what Jeremiah said. This is a famous verse that we have on greeting cards that maybe, this may be your life verse. Here it is. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here it is, the famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. You, Some of us, a lot of us probably have this memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We love to claim that and say that God's speaking that over me. And, and maybe, maybe not. But this certainly was God speaking this over, over those in captive Babylon, specifically Daniel. He reads this and says, that's for me. All right, Lord, you said 70 years, and then you said you have plans to prosper us, not to harm us. A hope and a future, we want that. So what does he do? It moves him. Not to make demands of God, which, which we're really good at, but instead to, to prayer 
and confession. Here's what he says. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his commandments. It says, his, who keeps his commandment of love and with those who love and keep his commandments. He says this, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day, we are covered in shame. I'm gonna guess you've never started a prayer like that. But what a good way to start one. <laughs> Maybe for some of us, that is how we should start our prayers. This guy, he doesn't, he, he's not so bold to say, Lord, this is what you said. You better do it. You better do it or else as though we could ever or else God. <laughs> Do this, God, or else. Or else I'm not talking to you anymore. Instead, he says, Lord, you keep your promises, not us. You are faithful when we aren't. And then I love what he says. Lord, you are righteous, but this day, this day, Lord, we are covered in shame. What a great way to start a prayer. If you want to capture God's attention, <laughs> you start praying like this. Oh, what was that you said? Oh, okay. You're not just asking me for things? Okay. All right. This is a prayer. Daniel continues and he says this. We'll skip a, a few verses just for the sake of time. He says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, giving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your, transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You know what Daniel's doing here? He doesn't even know he's doing this. He's praying the gospel. <laughs> he's praying that, that we are sinners, you are so good and righteous, and we've done everything against you, and we deserve everything we get. Wow, that sounds awfully close to what someone does when they decide to follow the Lord. He's, he's literally praying this out. They deserve punishment for their terrible sins and their, betray their betrayal of God. And, and ready for this? So do you. So do I. None of us are good enough. None of us can, can, can show the Lord like, hey, look at my life. I'm pretty awesome. Don't think, don't worry about the things I think about or the things I've said or, or how I treat certain people. Like, like they deserve all that. But me, I'm great. Who, who can ever stand before God and have that approach? God, I got it right. Everyone else got it wrong, but then you made me. 
you and I, listen, we are just as sinful and deserving of the consequence of our sin. Now, we're going to jump forward because Daniel, he continues to go through their history and, and share, Lord, this is what you did and this is what we did. And he's going to end his prayer with this. He says, now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. He, you can imagine him coming so humbly saying, all right, God, this, listen, we don't deserve any of this. You, you are so good and we are not. You're so holy and we are so sinful. I don't even have the right to ask you of anything, but I am. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pray that you, you hear my prayers. And then he says this, for your sake, Lord, Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Hey, don't do this for me as though I'm some important person, but for your sake, think about your temple. Think about what happened. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and, and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. This isn't a disrespectful like, hey, open your eyes and look. He's saying, no, no, listen, Lord, hear us. Look upon us because, because you told us you told us 70 years and we're waiting for it and we don't deserve it, but please, just please look at us. Lord, he says, he says, we do, open your eyes to see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do, and this is so good. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. This isn't because we deserve it and you owe us, but because of your great mercy. Listen, God, this isn't because I deserve it, but because you're so merciful and so good, I'm asking you to hear my prayers. Now, now listen, if, if you've never prayed like this, I'm telling you, start praying like this and see what happens. He continues, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Do this for your glory, Lord, not ours. We have no footing to ask you for anything. Not because we're righteous. Because of your great mercy. Listen, humble confession. And we can spend, we can spend a whole Sunday just looking at this prayer. Humble confession is always the right kind of prayer. It's, there's always the right time to say, all right, Lord, I'm just coming again because you're so good and I am not. And so I just wanna humbly confess yet again. Humble confession is always the right kind of prayer. Now, we move to the second focus of Daniel. Everyone skips this incredible prayer to get to this part. But the prayer is what precedes this. This prayer is what leads to what Daniel now is about to hear. Daniel is making this, this beautiful, humble plea to God, and, and now he's going to get an answer. This is the part that everyone wants to talk about, and for good reason. And, and it's very hard to know exactly what it's saying. Two one commentator says this, this, this guy, J. Paul Tanner, he wrote a commentary. Uh, it's relatively new. It's, I don't know, a thousand pages. It's like, you look at it and you're like, wow, here we go. He says this, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel 9, 
24 to 27 represents not only the greatest interpretive challenge in the book of Daniel, but may possibly be the most difficult passage to interpret in all of the Old Testament. That's a high bar. We have, we have, we have this, you know, this Old Testament. And he says, what we're about to read is the most difficult section in all of it. All right, I'm intrigued. What could, po- what could it possibly say that I don't understand? Just wait. Another commentator, Sidney Greedness, says this. Reading commentaries, and I, this is my experience this week. Reading commentaries on the last four verses of Daniel 9 is akin to entering a bewildering maze. So many choices to make, so many blind alleys and dead ends. He's like, which is the way out? <laughs> There's so many different options in interpretive, different interpretations and options and options and options and decisions of, uh, at, at, at which point there's a fork in the road and then there's another fork and another fork and another fork, all in these few verses where you're, by the time you get to it, you and I could sit down and read this. I can end over here and you can end over here reading the same verses. It's impo- it would be impossible to go over all of them this morning. It would be, if we had two hours, it would be impossible to go over all of the possible options of Daniel chapter nine. There's the Greek perspective, the Roman perspective. There's the macadamian Macadamia, uh, perspective. There's the historical Christ perspective. There's the preterist view. There's the gap theory. There's, uh, there's the futurist theory. And then listen, ready? That's, that's like the beginning. And then there's, there's whether you use solar years, 365.25 days, or whether you use prophetic years, which is 360 days. You end up in different spots on this timeline. And, or, or you use literal years or non-literal years, that these, these refer to actual timeline, or these are just symbolic. Or there's the semi-literal, where some of it's literal, but then, but then this part isn't. And, and you have to make all of those decisions. When we read this, you have to make all those decisions and say, what does that mean? Because what, how you decide on what those are, it changes how you read. It changes where you land. It changes the outcome of these verses. By 400 AD, one of the uh, early church fathers, he said, um, he said there's, uh, there's already, he identified nine conflicting views. By 400 AD, nine conflicting views on Daniel chapter nine, these verses. And he's, this is his conclusion. Ready? Let the reader decide what they want. That's literally what he says. He's like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. That was 480. That was before a lot of recent kind of theological uh, development. And, and if you can imagine how many views there are, there are now. Now, thankfully, we don't need to know every detail of what we're about to read. But we can still understand what God is saying to us. So, Shall we read the most difficult verses in the Old Testament? Are you ready? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're ready to leave. Are you ready to read this? Here it is. Daniel just finished his prayer. Verse 20 says this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, as I was literally in prayer doing this, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, this is the, he recognizes him, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. You know what's interesting is there's no sacrifices going on right now. But he remembers. 
Even as a boy, he remembers how important the sacrifice, the morning and evening sacrifices are. Decades later, he still knows, oh, yeah, if we had the temple, we'd be making sacrifices right now. This is that time. Daniel was incredibly devoted to the Lord. And then it says this, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, this is incredible. A word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Okay, so Daniel, Daniel is praying and Gabriel's back. As soon as Daniel started praying, word was sent out to Gabriel and they're probably like, hey, who was the angel who talked to Gabriel? Go find Gabriel, we need you. He, you're the one he recognizes. So they're like, okay, I gotta go. Yeah, go now, we don't have time. Just, he's praying right now, before he's done, you gotta get there. All right. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell him everything and nothing. <laughs> you're going to give him insight, and he's going to leave so confused. Can you do that? I got this. <laughs> so he shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm here. As soon as you started praying, I was told to come talk to you. Here I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what's going to come. Okay, here we go. Last week I told you God is going to mess with you. This is that moment. You ready? Sitting up straight? Okay. Lord, you have permission to mess us up right now. Verse 24. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish six things now. To finish transgression. To put an end to sin. To atone for wickedness. Three negatives. To bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. And three positives. He says, listen, there's 70 sevens that are gonna do, and by the end of those, those, those six things are gonna be done. These, these are very specific six things. They're very significant and all happen in the 70 sevens. Now, what is a seven? We, we, I'm gonna give you the answer without having to do the homework. Ready? A seven is a year, is a time period of seven years. So it's, it's usually like it'll be referred to as weeks. Um, this was prophetic language for a, a time period of seven. And every commentator agrees these are not actual like weeks. These, these are seven year periods. So there are 70 seven year periods. Does that make sense? So what we're talking about here is 70 times seven, quick math. 490 years. Good job, math students. You got it. 400, so he's saying 490 years and all of this will be accomplished. All right. 77s, and these six things will happen. Now he's going to tell you what's going to happen. And this is where people lose their minds. Know and understand this. Okay, that, like reading that again, that's funny. Hey, understand this that no one can understand. From the time the word goes out, this may be depending on your view. I'm just going to give you various forks in the road just to show you how complicated this is. This may be the time when Ezra was told to rebuild or the time when Nehemiah was told to rebuild. Both are in different years. One is, I believe, 458 and one is uh, 445, I think, BC. Depending on your start, Right? Depending where you start determines where you land. So, so even before we begin, out the gate, we have two different or even multiple different starting points. All right. 
from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. The anointed word, one, um, the, the word in Hebrew is translated not the great here. It's ready for this. You, you actually know this word. It's Messiah. You know what that is? Messiah. So, so the word in Hebrew is literally Messiah. Now, the Messiah literally means he who is anointed or that which is anointed. So they translate anointed one. Because we don't, like, depending where you land, this, it deter, it deter, it, it, you decide who this is referring to. So the time to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the, the anointed one, this may be um, Ananias III, the high priest, that this could fit him if you take one position. But most, most people, most scholars, most commentators agree, when you say Messiah, this is Jesus. So I, I land at this is Jesus. This is like, it makes the most sense. That from the time to rebuild Jerusalem until the time of the anointed one, Jesus, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens. We're gonna get two time periods. So seven sevens, so seven times seven, how long is that? 49 years. And then he says, uh, after seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, this is gonna mess you up. 62 times seven, I'll give you the answer. 434 years, I had to get a calculator. So there's another 434 years after that. Here's what he says. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. This could be the rebuilding during Nehemiah's time. We have a book about it where he goes and rebuilds the wall and they're, under, they're still at war. And so they have soldiers and people and construction workers at the same time guarding this. Or it could be during the time of Antiochus, who we talked about before. Depending on which fork you walk, changes. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death. Now, most, most all commentators say, this is now referring, this is an easy one but this is referring to the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. The anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death and will have nothing. Now, it changes. The people of the ruler, a new person. Who's the ruler? We don't know. The people of the ruler who will come uh, will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This may be referring to Emperor Titus in 70 AD where he destroys the temple. There are a lot of people who say this is clearly the ruler is Titus and the people are the Romans and they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happens in 70 AD. That one makes sense. Or if you have futurist goggles on, this is the Antichrist. And this is now, we just jump to the end times. Now, did you see that in the text? Did it say in the end times? No. We're, 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 we're just trying here. We're just trying to figure this out. We're trying to make it fit history and, and yet at the same time, prophecy. And then it says this, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. This again, could be the Antichrist future where this is what's gonna happen. We're looking at this saying, this is what's gonna happen. Or you could take the position where you say, you look back and you say, this, all of that happened under Titus. There was war and they, they persecuted, destroyed and fought against the Jews and, and they desolated the temple and Jerusalem and, and this happened. Titus did this very thing. He, we don't know who he is. Titus in the past, the Antichrist in the future, 
will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, the final seven. All right, now we have this last seven-year period. Okay, so far you understand all of this? We're not even at the crazy part yet. In the middle of the seven, the middle of this seven-year period, at year three and a half, he, we don't know who, we still don't know who the he is, will put an end to sacrifice and offering. This could be Titus who, who destroyed the temple and now they, they can't make sacrifices anymore. This re- could refer to the Antichrist in a future seven-year period. And, and again, you get to decide or at least study and say, this seems to make the most sense. And wherever you land, other Christians and scholars have landed there. And it continues. This is the last verse. And then you're gonna get messed up. And at the, at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. This is a popular term in, in theology and end times and apocalyptic literature. You read that, if you've done any study, you recognize that. This person will set up this abomination that causes desolation. The abomination of desolation is often referred to until the end that is decreed is poured out for him. Again, this is Titus. Maybe this is the Antichrist. This, okay. Wait, what else? Is that? Oh, it's done. That's it. That's what you got. That's what, that's what Daniel got. Hey, no one understand this, okay? I'm gonna tell you everything and nothing. And he shares this. And this becomes extremely difficult to interpret. Here's a timeline of the, the sevens of what it could potentially look like. Here you have two options. If you're taking them as literal years, you could say that they are concurrent. That means they all happened uh, back to back. The entire year period is 490 years, no more, no less. And they all happen one after the other. That's an option. In which case, uh, the, the one final seven would have been Titus. It would have been first century. It would have been right around the time of Jesus and, and, and all of its past. Or there's another option. There's actually a third option too. A second option is what's often referred to as the gap theory or the gap year. These are futurists who would say the first seven sevens, they happen all in a row. And then the, set, the, then the, the second, uh, oh, let's just say 62 sevens, they happen in a row, 434 years. And then there's a gap. And you and I are living in that gap now. This is often referred to as the church age. And at the end, the tribulation, the end times, is a final seven-year period that hasn't happened yet. It's almost, like, it's almost like this prophecy got put on pause, and then we're waiting for the, the final seven years to begin. This is the popular view. This was the, the left behind view. This is a lot of, of, uh, of, of like evangelicals, Christians today are like, yeah, that's when you think of like the tribulation and end times and the seven year period. The reason it's seven years is because of this prophecy right here. And then there's another view. There's a third option where you say, maybe it's both somehow where they all run consecutive, but then the last week is both a three and a half year period, but then, but then there's a gap time and the last half isn't three and a half years, it's a little longer. And if we do that, we can also make this timeline fit. There are options among options here. And okay, now are you ready to get messed up? I heard that, amen. She said, we're already there. It's about to get worse. 
This person described, and I'm gonna guess a lot of us probably maybe lean to, if you've studied, you probably lean to futurists, you probably lean to end times or a tribulation coming, this great tribulation that Jesus talked about, which, which again can be maybe future for us or maybe it was past for us, future for him. Maybe this was the destruction of the temple he was talking about. Look at, listen to all your options you got. Um, listen, this could be, this person could be the Antichrist. Are you ready? There are a lot of Christian scholars in both like, like the first few hundred centuries or first few hundred years, first few centuries, and even scholars today like who are writing books and they say this, actually, this isn't the Antichrist that it's describing. This is actually Christ. Everything that was just written, everything is about Jesus. You ready? Let's reread this. And I want you to read this now with the Jesus lens on, okay? No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem the anoint, until the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It, the temple will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Okay, that, great, we see all that. After the 62 sevens, so after this, this uh, the second section of time, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death and will have nothing. Great, we got that. That's, that's Jesus. Now, think of this all being Jesus. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Didn't Jesus do that when he died? When the curtain tore in the temple? You remember that? And, 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 and you and I, and, and believers, no longer need the temple? He makes it obsolete because he is this, this blameless lamb. He sacrifices himself to end sacrifices. Okay, it's messing with you now. We continue. The end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end and desolations have been decreed. When, again, how many times was Jesus accused of, of blasphemy and then ending this, this time, the, the, ne the necessity of sacrifices he Jesus again in this perspective will come and make a covenant with many for one seven for seven years in the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering this in some views is the crucifixion he ends the need for sacrifices at year three and a half wouldn't you know his ministry lasted three and a half years and then he died and then he was cut off and then he ended the need for sacrifices. In the middle of the seven, he puts an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Jesus made declarations to be God himself and they accused him of blasphemy, of desecrating the temple and until he was eventually killed. Now, do you see how this passage could be confusing? This could be referring to Jesus. It could be referring to Christ himself and it's all past. Or it could be referring to the exact opposite. It's the Antichrist. It's like, the, the, like whatever Jesus is, it's the opposite of that in his future. And both fit. Which is it? Which one? It can't be both. That's too easy of an answer. I pick all the options. That's not how this works. Here's, here's just to show you a few 
a few options. Here's a chart, and, and we don't, we're not gonna go over this. If you wanna take a picture, just if you want this chart, email it to me. I spent some time making it, and when I was done, I'm like, that's a lot of just more confusion. But various views and how they line up all of this to work. Okay, now, we leave that up so people can look at it and read it and then decide I don't ever wanna read this again. So what do we learn from all this? What do we learn from the fact that this is like so incredibly difficult and, and, and yet people take such hard stands? What do we learn from this other than, other than my head hurts? Here's what we learned, ready? God's great plan, his plan throughout human history it focuses on Jesus and it ends with my benefit. That's what we know. Whatever, however this plays out, whatever it looks like, whatever the timeline is, wherever you land, it, I'll tell you where I land in a second. You're probably like, I'll just pick that one. It seems the easiest, right? God's great plan focuses on Jesus and ends with my benefit. God has this all figured out and he wants you to be with him, to be included in this everlasting righteousness. All of it is set up so that we can one day be with him. Now, I've, I've done more reading than I probably should or care to, to do again. And, and with an open hand, I land on a futurist view, which is probably where some of you land. That, that this, a lot of this is future. That the, the Messiah certainly was Jesus, but then there seems to be, there seems to be a gap in, in the fulfillment of this prophecy. So, so I, think, I think there is some of this that's future. But I can also be, I can also be persuaded differently. Um, when, I, when I get to heaven, and I'm like, hey, Lord, was I right? And he says, not even close. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with him, with, with saying, all right, I hold on to Jesus, but my perspective of the end, uh, all right, this is what I believe. So for us, you, me, here's what God wants you to know. You read Daniel 9, and as much as we want to connect dots and, and make it all work, and you know, you're, you know, you got a room in your house that looks like, you know, a murder investigation, all these like lines and pictures, and you got it all like set up. As much as we want to know the detail of everything, here's where we rest. God's plan focuses on Jesus and it all happens for my benefit, for our benefit, for those who are followers of the Lord. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? We're gonna, we're gonna pray and, and close. And, um, and I, wanna give, um, I wanna give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow this Jesus, to say, I want, I want in. I want in with that. I want on his side. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're new. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to like the hardest chapter in the Bible and we're glad you're here. But listen, all of it, all of it points us to Jesus. So would you do this? Would you bow with me as I pray for us? And so if that's you and there's someone in here, some of us that are saying, all right, I want to follow Jesus. When, when, when whatever happens supposed to happen, I want to be 
included in his people that are followers of him. That's you. One of the ways we do that, we say you're making a decision. You're making a commitment to follow Jesus. And we do it a lot like Daniel did through prayer. So you can pray something like this right where you're at. You can just kind of follow after me. Lord, I humbly admit I am a sinner. That I am nowhere near perfect. I have sinned against you. And right now, I place my faith in Jesus, in the Messiah. I believe that he took my place to pay the price I couldn't to experience the penalty that that I should. And right now, I commit my life to you, to following you, to becoming like you, and to one day be with you. Lord, I, I pray for all of us that all of us, we would, we would learn when we read passages like this that are very difficult, we would, we would learn and realize it's not our job to figure it all out. It's our job to trust that you have it all figured out. We rest in you and we hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if, if that was, if, if, that's great. If that was you, if, if some of us, you, you said, I, I want to follow Jesus today. Find me in the lobby. Come talk to me. If you can't talk to me or you don't see me, go share it with our guest services. Say, hey, I just made a decision. I don't know what to do next. Um, we would love to reach out and to, to be in touch with you. I'll take you to coffee. I love, if you don't like coffee, I'll go everywhere, anywhere you want to pay for me. I would love to, to do that. I would love to just spend time with you and get to know you. Um, uh, we're going to close. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming. And um, next week we continue. The, listen, the, the, the book of Daniel is not done. We're, we're halfway through, halfway through the prophetic section. We got a lot more coming. Hope to see you again next week. God bless. Have a great Sunday.